Correct. Well done. Like I said, Golding's book isn't just about a bunch of boys stranded on a desert island. Jack began writing on the board with the magic marker again. Each stroke made an animal sound, a shrill squeak. He formed the words conch and cave on the whiteboard. No book is written in a bubble. It's always influenced, a little or a lot, by the events that are happening around it. He turned and regarded the faces in the classroom. They were so young, younger than Stephen. He had more than once began writing Stephen's name on the board in a bloody red ink, invoked perhaps by his unconscious thoughts or by his son's lingering spirit, only to stop himself partway through. Now his fingers and palm were covered in ink as if he had cut his hand. As I say, not just kids left alone to their own devices. There's much more to it than that. Can anyone think of another example where the protagonist, Ralph, Mr. Latham to the principal's office. Mr. Latham to the principal's office, please. Doris's croaking voice creaked over the intercom, interrupting Latham's lesson and his train of thought. Latham cringed at the thought of the woman. What's the matter, sir? Did you forget to hand in your homework? A student asked. Jack didn't see which one of them spoke, nor did he recognize his voice. Did you get detention? Another said, and the class filled with sporadic laughter. Sean's eyes met with Carl's. It was Carl who spoke first. Little shits. Jack grinned and spoke. I'll be asking you questions on this chapter. Bear in mind the significance of the conch and what it represents. Jack watched Chandler's house. He hadn't planned to. It was just one of those things. He had found that the car ground to a halt in front of Chandler's residence. It was as if the car had an autopilot function, like a guided missile, and it had arrived here of its own accord. Thanks, Kit. No problem, Jack. Jack surveyed the small starter home. It was smack bang in the bad side of town, where TVs blared, Doors slammed and dogs barked throughout the night, a.k.a. Shipville, just where Jack knew Aaron Chandler would end up in spite of his family's money. Latham watched the window, what he came to think of as a shadow show for an audience of one. Every night, Jack Latham scrutinized those shadows. He thought of himself as a patron at a zoo observing the behavior of apes, or perhaps like a scientist studying a primitive form of life under a microscope. As Jack watched, an idea formed in his head. An idea long in the making. What he thought was every teacher's daydream. Hell, it's a fabulously full-blown fantasy. Jack tried to dismiss the idea. It was crazy, and clearly created out of the pain of his son's death. Nevertheless, it was still wholly appealing. Latham started his car, ready to leave, and turned to the house one last time. The two shadows were framed in the window again, the sound of a muffled scream. Jack flinched. The light shifted in the room as the lamp fell, giving life to the shadows like something from the Peter Pan stories. Is it a fantasy? Had Jack not seen Chandler's shade hit the woman at the window the second time, he would have, no doubt, dismissed this fantasy out of hand as a lunatic notion. Yet, 
while he watched the woman fall again, and he gazed at Aaron's swaying shadow as the man lifted the infant's small shape into the frame. The idea took hold and grew like a poisonous root. Jack, fighting back a feeling of jealousy which tugged at his heart, stared at the small child's shadow. What will you become with a father like that? Would the child repeat the father's mistakes? Not if I can help it.